Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new Mindful Chat of the Artful Athlete podcast. And today I am surrounded by lots of things. Two cats who may or may not be making noise during this episode, so get ready or not. And a lovely person who calls herself the Stingfluencer, but I also think she's a mermaid because she does spend a lot of time in the sea, in the sun, and she sings like an angel. So please welcome Anne-Sophie! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. I'm so happy to be here. I like to give people like um, a funky introduction, just like, you know, when there's these MMA wrestling matches and there's always the over the top dramatic voice that's like, and <laughs> yeah. here it comes. And I think we need a bit more of that, especially when you're going into a conversation just because it lifts the energy up just a teeny tiny bit. Yes, like we're ready. Oh my God, so ready. Yeah. And since we're ready, <laughs> tell the good people listening what it is you do. Who are you? What is the Singfluencer? Oh my Lord, where do I even begin? So I'm Anne-Sophie, I'm Danish, I live in Copenhagen and I am, let's say, like a, an opera singer recovering from two years, a year and a half of lockdown during COVID and let's say 10 years of really, really um, intense music studies. Out of, out of this lockdown came to me this uh, idea of gathering a community of people sharing what life is actually like as an artist and that can look many different ways but i put it all under the umbrella of being a singfluencer i've, I've like trying try to like find some kind of a, a slogan for it i don't know if if, if that's the thing it's going to be but i feel like describing it as that we are the artists of today influencing the arts of tomorrow that's kind of i think the mission statement with singfluenza the mission statement it's, this is this is like she's here she means business she's gonna turn the arts upside down and we've got some tea to spill and some things need to be said and yeah. we're gonna influence all of the other creatives that have suffered from 10 years of intense music studies i mean i tried to study music as a kid didn't go down well because well it was France to start with and <laughs> and I was what seven or eight years old and I had a piano teacher I was trying to learn piano and this woman was like yeah you know so putting tennis balls underneath your hands so that your hands get the right shape and the broom against your back so that you would be oh. but she'd scream at me because my eyes are not the best and I get the lines and the gap between the lines on the music sheet mixed up oh. so as a child I would get it wrong and we didn't know yet that my eyes were doing this thing and she would always call me an idiot a little idiot because oh. I could not get it and so one day I got up I opened the door to her flat and said madam I am not an idiot and my mum was on the other side of that door <laughs> so I walked oh, away. Oh my god but well done for you for standing up against that. that must I will be... not be bullied. <laughs> no 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 like that's that's like some of the things that I feel that has come up for more and more artists during the pandemic like thinking about like what is what is the thing that has shaped us as artists like and sort of recognizing what do I what do I want to represent as an artist and what will I no longer tolerate absolutely because there are definitely also things in in my in my journey and in my um education as a singer when I look back and I was like how could I allow this to myself being gaslighted in or gaslit in uh, in voice lessons and and things like that it's just not 
that's not like when, when I teach, because I also teach a fair few students, like I'm really like conscious about like, how do I affect them vocally and how do I make sure that they feel safe? Um, knowing that I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a, a life coach or anything, but like just being aware of like them, them just making the the environment feel safe because the voice is so connected to your psyche to your whole body that's why it's so important and as for instrumentalists as well like you're working with your bodies with your with your breath it's so integrated so when we receive criticism towards that goes so much I don't know if it's just me, but like I, I just take it so so personally, and that's uh, something like I've I've had to work really hard with. But I feel like the teacher also has a responsibility to know the impact that they have on like just not music, but also like mentally, emotionally, physically towards students. But that's just maybe that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> no, but I think this is something our generation. And I I'm I'm not saying just our generation of of artists and creatives our generation as a whole i think we were on the receiving end of a big stick for, on an educational level on a personal level on a societal level because of the demands that were coming our way and we we're now these that generation that's asking for mental health support in all of the different fields that generation that's still saying hey let's talk feminism but in a healthy way because apparently we still need to have that conversation mm -hmm. just about we we want to be seen as a whole i'm not just a machine that does accounting for example i'm also a human i may enjoy doing accounting but don't treat me like a robot and don't put pressures on me that belongs to a previous generation yes because that's just that's how you maintain the cycle and that's how you destroy a lot of people i mean from an artistic and creative industry perspective for example the myth of the tortured artist and that you need to struggle and be in pain and be depressed to be a good quality creative oh my god absolutely not that's so toxic yes it is we don't mm. need that and i mm. think this was have I experienced some of it? Yes, sometimes uh, with a director that, uh, shouty director, you know the type, that's very, very, oh, yeah. um, this is how it's meant to be done. And you just go, yes, of course, I, I, I will do, I will do everything you say because you're the director and, and you're in the power position. And that's why personally I was scared of directing for so many years mm -hmm. because it was the power position. It was the shouty position. And then the first time I got to direct, you realize, oh, no, it's actually you, you can just be a human and it will be appreciated because you're not turning your performers into ball of nerves or bringing them to a point of fear and anxiety because they're not going to do good enough on the mm. stage. And the audience may be enjoying it, but you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about what the director and some other cast members or tech and crew people are going to be thinking of your performance. And it just feeds into anxiety if you're prone to anxiety as well. Exactly. And uh, I've actually had this conversation with a, a few artists lately. I have a feeling that things are starting to change, that you can no longer be an asshole in this industry. Like you, you, you can't, you, you have to be a good colleague. You have to be good to work with. Otherwise people won't, they won't recommend you. They, they don't want to work with you. It's the, the classic, please don't be a dick. Um, yeah. type of requirement 
because yes, that may have been allowed and applauded um, for in previous generations for many years, but mm-hmm. we're lit- we're just putting an end to it. We we just don't need that to exist. Yeah, and it's it's funny, like because it's part of it has been, or that's my that's my perception of it that that also because of the Me Too movement, there's been a lot of calling out in the arts. And I feel like that has started a wave of more like ethical, uh, what you say, like processes in, in the arts, like or in, in the theaters, in the in the companies, like because maybe before I, I, I literally don't know if they had if they had rules about things like that. But it's a good thing that it's finally come on the like there's been some awareness around it. And I read an article a few months ago when this Me Too movement was rolling again in Denmark. I think um, there was this guy who's a professor in pedagogy or something. He said like that that idea of the genius, the the leading genius in music, he can no longer exist if he is an asshole. Like because it's it, like again, like it, it can't. It just simply can't be tolerated anymore. So it's a good thing when people say no and that we can move forward because like you said also we're we're just humans and we're we're sensitive beings as artists and that needs to be respected as well absolutely and uh, i was having a similar conversation with desiree wenger who's a a theater director who was directing me in the ama she loves production i was in in june this was the first time for me that i heard of the role of an intimacy director which is a brand new job and i'm very much sure it's coming from me too and okay from your face have you ever heard of an intimacy director before no i've i've heard of like a, a confidence person or confidential person within small groups of like or, or smaller companies so that there is this person you can always go to if they if you have an issue with something oh so that's something else the intimacy yeah, director is when you have a scene of an intimate nature. It doesn't have to be a sexual abuse or, or like a, a love scene. It can also just be an argument. It depends on what in the project qualifies as intimate. And yeah. that person comes in and creates the safest space there is and utilizes different exercises. One we did personally for for our play was animal development, animal characters, and then observing how these. So in our play, we, we looked at how hyenas walk around and how they behave. And there was an Attenborough documentary where you had this lion surrounded by hyenas. And so we were embodying the quality of the hyena and then somebody was embodying the quality of the lion only Mm. allowed to do animal noises and to move as much as possible like said animal. And then gradually you take a scale and you have 100% animal and 0% human. And then gradually you go say 30% human and 70% animal. So do you have speech yet? Can you go on your hind paws? Can you transition to being high? Maybe not. From this, you transition into your characters into the scene so it first requires a bit of character studies but it makes it so much safer to approach scenes of a traumatic nature because how many actors and actresses have been traumatized by hardcore scenes which were not done safely and when you have sex scenes as well you it is it's been laughed at quite a bit nowadays, but you've had directors just be like, yeah, just just do this like that. Like it can create that really, really awkward sensation between the actors or the singers or 
even on stage like you you may easily feel uncomfortable because it's so intimate and um also what you said about like doing traumatic scenes like butterfly is so heavy like there yeah. is this whole suicide scene at at the end like sorry for spoiling if you spoiler don't know alert! But, um, spoiler yeah. alert! oh my gosh <laughs> opera spoiler alert how dare you yes because yeah. you finished your run of madama butterfly tell us a bit yeah. more about it do you want to like know from the from the mental side of things or like just like the whole overview of how's it been um you know what how did the story start for you okay and where did it take you so like literally I, i think it was six months ago i i did a little small introduction on my instagram stories where i think i said i don't know if i can call myself an opera singer anymore or if i want to be calling myself an opera singer because i just did not want to sing i was just i was so shut off and so angry with with my whole journey with having spent so long time perfecting this instrument that's called my voice and just feeling so distant from it and feeling that it's useless for some reason of course like the whole world was shut down at that moment but yeah it it just made me utterly unhappy that i had all these skills now that i just feel like i couldn't use because there there wasn't anything lined up for me um i'd graduated just before the pandemic started so there we are full on victim mode uh activated and i went into therapy and the first few times i sat with my therapist like no i don't want to talk about singing because i know i don't want to be singing so let's talk about something else <laughs> and then um uh, like after a few sessions we'd be like okay um let's let's dive into this thing about like what what is it about these things and she did something with me that's called emdr therapy which is eye movement decentralization and reprocessing which is i'm just gonna dive for a small bit into what emdr therapy actually is is you focusing on a traumatic event of any kind this could be from messing up a high note on stage to uh being run over by a bus like it, it could be a, a traumatic experience of any kind and um we'd be focusing on that on that um event for let's say this this session and the only thing i would have to do is like think really really clearly of this event and then she would like move fingers across my eyes that i had to focus on uh, like just not losing contact with the with the fingers it's a bit is a bit as if you sit in a train and you watch the um ah oh, what's it called those the trees the or the oh, other no, like, the, like, the street lamps like the pillars or yeah, the, the, yeah exactly like the the street lamps or something like it's it's just const- constantly moving across you can be full of something in your mind thinking about it but you're always brought back to reality by this this thing that's moving by it's sort of the same thing that happens when you do MD, emdr therapy which allows you to re-experience the traumatic event while being present and while being safe so we've done that a few times and along with that i've had the task of of singing every single day for like 20 minutes and she was like let's not call it practicing because um you just need to to be com- confident and comfortable with using your voice sing something that you like sing something that's not related to to this traumatic event and so i would do that and like more and more throw myself into things that i really felt like 
wanting to escape like at the, at that time when we were working i was singing at a church and i could get panic attacks from just singing in ensemble because i was so scared of of messing things up and i felt really isolated and it, it, it was like my anxiety was so high like those six months ago but having done all this work i suddenly got a phone call from someone saying we need a suzuki for madame madame butterfly do you want to audition for it and i was like uh, I haven't done an audition since like 2019. What am I going to do? Um, okay, I have like five days to prepare an aria, two arias. As then I just had to brush up something and I did. And I was like, okay, this is what I got. Went in and just had a blast. It was so, so nice. I felt so supported and and able to focus on things that were not related to being perfect or singing perfectly in the moment. It was just like the best audition experience. It almost made me cry <laughs> in the situation. So ah, it was really nice and they were impressed. So they offered me the role and here I am off to, to Madame Butterfly. And even though there were like things in the score that freaked me out, like music wise, vocal wise, because it's, it's heavy music. It's Puccini. Um, it's not, it's not exactly Handel, which is like my, my area of expertise or Every, like, everybody loves Handel. <laughs> no, and it's not, not everybody though. Like, uh, I think that he, he kind of like uh, divides the waters in some capacity, but Handel, he, he has some bangers. It's really good. I mean, he really does. He really does. I know my, my, my father trained in piano and Handel is just one of these tracks that I, I think maybe I've inherited the love from him and now I assume that everybody loves him. But uh, <laughs> I'm a lot less versed when it comes to Puccini, for example. I know that it's difficult. Yeah. But it's it's like when once I started listening to the music to just like really get it under my skin and, and, and get to know it. Oh, Lord, <laughs> like it's it's just so good. Like, um, yeah, wow. It, it, it was such a great experience. And I got to the, the thing is about my character, Sutuki, which was the, the main character, Madame Butterfly's servant or a lady in waiting but you can't call her that basically she was she was her servant that meant that i didn't sing a lot but i was on stage the whole time so i had to like really like embody and and be an actress on stage the way that i've i've never felt like i had to be before because you you know like you have to when you're on stage you're so aware of everything that's going on even though you don't have anything to say or do like you're still present and that was just such a good exercise for me to also come back to the thing about singing that i love the most is like it's the storytelling it's the character work it's the expressing yourself in like a whole different thing and just like feeling that when you're on stage you're like on your on a playground just having fun it was it was just the most amazing experience it really was it's it's all of that it's very much i think it's just a wonderful thing to act to sing as well just because for me it's a moment where there's no boundaries when it comes to emotion and there's no mm. boundaries when it comes to expression and whatever is coming out of you at that moment is the truest it can be yes for that scene for that interaction and it, it i don't know how to phrase it so i'm gonna do my best but when you're someone and you strike me as someone who may have that as well who feels a lot of feels let's mm -hmm. there we go we feel a lot of feels and on the daily it's not necessarily something that's 
easy to handle just because you look at the other humans or you know since we were bonding over harry potter mugs the other muggles around us you kind of try to fit in with the other muggles for a long time i know that's what i did not just creatively but as a human and then when i'd go on stage or when i'd go singing this is where i felt i could actually let all of that out let all of that surplus of fields of all the feelings just go somewhere but allow them to take a shape and there's a very big difference when you're you know you're rehearsing an o sound for example in singing and just doing your oh, and it's just oh, and it could be uh-oh, oh, oh, could be anything. You're just playing mm -hmm. with volume. But there's a very big difference when you're finally removing the cork on the fields bottle. And that's what actually feeds the sound. And when it comes out and it just has, it creates something very unique still in the magic world, but it's almost like there's a spell that then creates a connection from the character to whoever is listening yes. it's interesting what you were saying about acting because i've got a few friends who are opera singers and one of them worked on filming um, a little song for a contest lately and she collaborated with a, friend, a mutual friend of ours who's a director um, theater and film director who was telling her during the filming less singing more acting less singing more acting mm. and now my question to yeah. you because you're an opera person and i can just totally ask you is there a divide between the acting and the singing when it comes to opera training so so let's say that you go to to music school or music college to really perfect your craft to know the craft of singing to know how your vocal folds work how to create a sustainable sound that that carries over an orchestra um but the thing that we don't among the many things that we're not taught in music college is like the actual craft of acting which is basically is, is like the most important thing because when you when you go on stage and you're not present when you're when you're only thinking about your technique the audience sees it immediately and that's also when you feel the most naked and i felt like the most uncomfortable because i'm like Ah, here comes the high note like ah, i can't i can't like distance myself from it but my experience was with with butterfly that once i just disappeared into the character into the emotion all of that technique solved itself um so so just to to answer your question of course there are people of of the the old school who really values like that bel canto sound that the old like the old way of producing a sound but i don't think you can get away with today like maybe even less and less just being a good singer you have to be a good actress too you have to be um, able to really portray a character and able to tell a story. <laughs> that maybe I don't know. Maybe that's 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 just my perception of it, and and what I also want to dive into more. Um, hopefully, as I, I get more opportunities. But I just also had had the the privilege to be working with uh, this big star soprano, soprano, Susan Bullock, who also says she's she's an acting singer. And I felt that with her instantly, she was like, okay, let's strip away the technique. Let's just try and stage this aria so we would be playing together and really just embody the character. And it's amazing what that just does for your technique again. Like once you just get out of your voice and into your body and just embody the character and the emotions and everything. I could go on forever about this. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, don't be sorry. I love this. And also acting singer. It just my I had a bubble inside my mind that just went ding. Of course, of course, because if you just say, oh, I'm 
I'm singing in a musical or I'm an opera singer. We just, there's in a way a limitation that presents itself and that latches onto, oh, so you're a person that you're a future Roberto Alagna type of guy, or you're trying to be Maria Callas, you know, something like that. When actually you act, if you go see an opera and you don't, I don't know, if it's a sad one, you don't cry because you can have the most beautiful song being performed technically to the T. However, mm -hmm. if there's no emotion traveling through that, yeah, it sounds beautiful. I'm just not receiving. It becomes almost um, my, my, my old singing teacher would always say, don't be selfish when you sing. Such a good line. And, and it stayed. I, I owe so much of my voice to that very, very patient man. But yeah, it was don't be selfish when you sing. And you <sighs> have the feels when you act. So can I have the feels when you sing? Can we just make space for the feels here too? And you're like, yeah, but I don't know if it's okay. Well, just open your mouth and let it out. And then we'll see if it's okay. Yeah. It, <laughs> but it was always... It, it, he he had a way of just presenting it with with good humor, with patience, and and it made a total difference. Because yeah, mm -hmm. acting, singing—you want people to connect to whatever it is you're singing. You need to embody it. You need to create that bubble of sound all around you and extend it with every breath and every note, so that yeah. it reaches other people. But if you don't let the fields give you a little push, you're not going to reach the heart of Stephen in row forty-five. No, exactly. And like, I actually, it was it was a fun thing. I did a, a poll on my Instagram story saying like, what could what could you most easily forgive bad singing and good acting or good acting or bad singing uh it, good acting and bad singing like so do, do you know what i mean so like the the poll ended up 50 50 i think like 300 or 500 voted for that which was really like it's interesting to see because half of people seem to be able to forgive this the the singing part if the acting was good and and the other half said like well if it's bad acting you could just close your eyes oh oh that, yes it's interesting isn't it oh i know what m one of my previous teachers at Rada would have chosen because when we used to go see plays he would um, quite often actually he would just close his eyes and put his hand above his head and then just listen to the text because if he if he had it from the get-go decided he didn't like the staging he said I don't want this image in my head so <laughs> closing <laughs> your eyes and just listening to the text and then he'd talk about yes but you know when she was saying this and then he'd elaborate on stuff that I felt I had then missed out on because I was focusing on everything that was going on so closing your eyes is a great way to then just shift the focus point on something else but it's true but yeah I personally I forgive you as a singer, as an actor, if technically there's something that's not fully there, but the emotions were here and you had me hooked and maybe mm -hmm. I don't agree with how that last note came out or how that last speech got staged, but if you had me in my seat not wanting to leave and if you had me wanting to know what happened to you even though I didn't fully connect, I forgive mm -hmm. you. I'm staying. Yeah, I think I'm the same. Because um, <laughs> it was really funny. So, Madama Butterfly, I, I had to, to like sit down and 
and actually watch the show because I, I had sh sort of short preparation time. Uh, so I, I put on Met On Demand and actually saw two shows of the same production. So one was from 16 and one was from 19. And the one from 19 was, uh, it was actually very interesting. The first one was just like star opera stars like like Alanya and Christina Polais. But for for the 19 production, they, they had cast ethnically so that the people were from the actual like countries that they're supposed to be from. So... So Suzuki and Chuchu-san were both Japanese and Pingerton was American, Sharpless was American. It was really, really interesting. But the Pingerton of this production, I just could not stand watching him. It pissed me off so much. That was what led me to, to ask that question on my, on my Instagram stories. I was like, how dare you? Like speaking of, <laughs> he sounded gorgeous. He said like amazing sound, great, great, great tenor sound. And Pinkerton is one of the heaviest roles you can sing as a tenor. Uh, so, like, kudos to him. But I got so angry. <laughs> I was just like, ah, how Did dare you? Get like, overprotective over a fictional character? Yeah. I like, like it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but like, I'm, I'm like, like you said before, don't be so selfish. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe. I'm a crazy person, but like, ah, oh, when I can't see that they're present in the character, when they're they're like explaining the emotions, I I just I just get so pissed. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no no, don't be don't be. I've I've experienced that with um with plays I've gone to see, and I don't as a rule I don't ever walk out. I refuse to walk out if I dislike it. I want to understand exactly why, and I yeah. I always have hope that maybe in the second act it gets better. Yeah. Order, not always and there's some hours of my life I'm never getting back and you're, you're just there watching that performer doing oh dramatic and you just oh my gosh please somebody tell him <laughs> and someone who's well known as well I've had an embarrassing evening with a friend we had pre-booked our ticket a year in advance somehow at the Barbican to watch a production of Hamlet the very well established actor in the lead role of Hamlet and at the end, we walked out and my friend and I had a moment of silence and just went, <laughs> well, the set was nice. <laughs> and this oh, is no. the worst thing you can feel after, you know, I think, and this was what one of my uh, theatre theory teacher, um, theatre theory, yeah, theatre theory teacher said one day, when does your trip to the show start? And for me, it's from the moment, finally get the ticket. Yeah. It's this way, there's the excitement, there's the, oh, well, how are they going to do this bit, this bit, this bit, Ooh, excitement. And then you get, you, you plan your day, you go there, it's so good. And then you leave and the first thing you, you have is a moment of silence. Also because, you know, the, the Barbican Theatre in London is quite a big room. Yes, it's so, so the, big. Yeah. The actors are mic'd. And when you have people next to you who can't hear anything and basically are whispering to each other, I hearing what she's saying no me neither I don't know what he's saying and because your friend and I well your friend and I my friend and I are getting slightly bored of one of my favorite Shakespeare plays you kind of go so at this moment this is what's going on and you basically recite the text and tell them so that they can keep up oh my god no yeah. but that must have been like a flaw on their behalf for, for like not miking up or was it just like not inaudible um I don't know who to blame I was not there I, I think it was a blend of the thing is when you're mic'd the mic does its job 
you need to be audible by the mic in the first place. The mic is an amplifier, but you mm -hmm. need to you need to be able to work without one. Yeah. So and when you get given a microphone, you're still told, you know, speak at your normal acting volume. I mean, that's what I was always taught, because this way you just have a consistent sound. Yeah. And it goes down to, you know, mastering the voice, mastering the breath and all of that lovely expression stuff that we both teach. Yeah, exactly. But in there, it was just not present. And then there was a moment where my favorite line got drowned in drum and bass. And um, mm. I did want to, I, I did want to scream, but I did not. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> oh, no. I peak silence. And I had already seen a performance by that director at the National Theatre in London a few years prior. And these were a few minutes. A few hours of my life, I know for a fact I'm never getting back. Mm. But it's just so, ugh, don't be selfish. Give. <laughs> yeah. Literally, being a creative and being a performer is the most giving profession, I feel. Because you're yeah. giving parts of you as a human mm. so that others maybe can get a little bit of a boost or maybe can connect to an emotion they're trying to pinpoint at the moment or they're not in a position to access easily. And mm. we're not therapists for sure, but we help reach a form of catharsis, as our Greek friends used to say. And yes. it's a different form of therapy. It is. And like we, we're just really, really vulnerable and offering a, a piece of our soul for the people to reflect themselves in. That is a freaking gift. And that like I, I took a business course this well, like I've been diving in hardcore into entrepreneurship over the past year and like when when people talk about marketing though like so is it a product or a service like the thing about singing like it can be a product a, a production is a product but i feel like as as artists we that's our service the thing that we do and then when people don't recognize the service that we do and compensate it with the thing that like like for example when talking about like how how you pay artists like understanding that that when you when i walk on stage you're not just paying for 10 minutes of my time or like an hour of my time you're paying for like 10 years of really really hard studies and a fraction of my soul <laughs> like i like that so let's break it down to you i trained for that amount of time i've performed in other projects for that amount of time mm. i went and saw shows and listened to concerts and read books in order to hone my connection to my emotions and on yeah. top of that i'm putting a box with decent amount of emotions and most of my soul into this. But I'm asking yeah. you to just pay for the whole package and not minimum wage or whatever that is, depending on the country you're in. Exposure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exposure doesn't pay the bills. No. Wonderful meme. It's like, oh, I'll pay you uh, in exposure. And then you just have this guy pointing at the inside of the fridge being like, I like food. Yes. Like exposure don't pay for food. That's true. I got, sure got rent and bills to pay like every other human. And it's not because unfortunately with the fast food of entertainment being now accessible, uh, you know, your Netflix, your Amazon Prime or whatever other streaming device we're using, which is so great mm -hmm. because we do have access to all of these things. But the fact that you're asking minimum price like yes it's making it accessible but it's not available to everyone and we always no, speak of the one percent but then people like us we're not there mm -mm. so exactly and that's that's why i think it's really important that that artists um 
acknowledge the the minimum wage that there are in unions in different unions i guess in different countries like i think the the question there's a question in a facebook group that i'm mem a member of like if people go and sing one song for a wedding like what's the what's the price of that and i think like if you're a, an educated artist like the minimum that you should be charging is i can't remember if it's 2000 danish krona that's that's like maybe 250 pounds maybe 300 it's just saying that 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 to respect other artists in the field don't underbid each other like know know what the what the the asking price is like what what you would um consider minimum and go from there and take your take your own expenses into account as well because yes okay it's a couple of hours at a wedding for example but how do you get there are you going to mm. drive back that same night or are you going to need to stay somewhere there's mm. all of these extra stuff to bear in mind so it's looking at each opportunity for the time that you're going to have to put in because there's the rehearsal there's getting yourself there and everything and it's the same with every type of creative service I do like yes the difference between providing a service and a product in in the in in this industry because yes as performers singers dancers and 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 actors we're providing a service yes we're getting you out of wherever you currently are and taking you with us to a magical land or a different level of emotions yeah exactly yeah free travel yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's exactly time travel oh time, yeah. yeah time travel oh my gosh absolutely there's some shows you watch and you go i definitely was in i don't know 1700s russia mm. for a few hours and yeah, what's I in just... store for you afterwards so um now yeah what are you up yeah. to where's the singfluencing taking <laughs> <laughs> so i have i have the plans of something i haven't said out loud yet online at least um but it's hopefully something that's gonna bring more artists together um and and help people kickstart their careers after covid so that's that's sort of what i'm working on it's funny when people ask me uh, what a singfluencer is and i've been wanting to to make a podcast episode for my own just very very new podcast like what is a singfluencer actually but it, it really it comes down to the artist basically as long as as you stand for who you are as an artist proud of the service that you provide and knowing your impact that's influencing to me it could also be influencing talking about some bs in the arts that we've also been into talking about um during this episode now it's it's whatever whatever you think that you resonate with in terms of like what i've just mentioned but just knowing that that your artistry has the power to influence that's that's something i'm working on like getting more people together and just still like pursuing uh the the road back into a some sort of a career right like when when i started my studies i was like i'm gonna be the best i can possibly can i can possibly be and i will get all these like great great contracts and i'll get like competition and i'll like be the best right now i'm just like trying to survive right now i'm just like i just need to to feel confident going back on stage feel comfortable comfortable being who i am and not that that box of a mezzo soprano or like a, a stereotype kind of opera singer just feeling good in my own skin when i walk on stage feeling proud and and content with what i produce that's my focus right now I think it's a healthy focus to have just because if we constantly set huge standards to ourselves, it's 
wonderful to have standards. However, mm. they need to be attainable and true to who we are because otherwise they have the opposite role. You, you censor yourself in so many ways. Yeah. yeah. It just becomes like so sky high expectation expectations you set for yourself and that was the biggest mistake i made in my um in my education thinking that these these hard hard years would give me that amount of like recognition that i felt that i needed that i somehow couldn't give myself i think that's been the hardest lesson to learn that nobody's going to give it to you uh, you have to like find it within yourself and and setting realistic goals and paying attention to what actually makes you happy. Oh, wow. That's a truth bomb. Mm -hmm. But it yeah. is. But it is. Happiness comes first. Because if you're really, really unhappy, no matter the job, like not just even in the arts industry or singing or acting, if you're not happy in whatever it is you're doing, this will have a massive impact on every other part of you. Yeah. Will you be able to give as freely and as genuinely as you used to? Probably mm -hmm. not. No. Exactly. Like maintaining good mental health, all basically, whether you're an artist, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a muggle, it's just important. <laughs> Muggles, welcome to this podcast. Let it be known. Let it be yes. known. <laughs> My lovely Anne Sophie, it's been an absolute joy, blast, and fun to have you on the Artful Athlete. Where Thank can the you, good Lynn. people of the internet find you? So I have a website that's coming very, very soon. It's already out there, but it's just getting a revamp. It's ensophiejensen.com. That's sort of my professional site. But come and say hi on ensophie.soeby on my Instagram. I'm also on TikTok. I'm, uh, I've, I've been a bit in and out of content creation over the past half, half year or so. So uh, I'm, I'm just like slowly trying to find my way back into creating whatever feels right for me and then of course like i i do try and and do uh, some some podcast episodes once in a while it's called singfluence with Sophie. <laughs> you can find it on spotify <laughs> so that's that's basically where excellent all the links to all of these wonderful places will be in the episode description thank you very much and sophie once again for popping by and thank you to everyone who's been tuning in to this new series of mindful chats on the artful athlete podcast your regular fix on all things voice expression and creativity is still available every thursday on all of the lovely platforms oh and little announcement because i still haven't told anyone yet but if you're in the uk and you have a membership with audible you can also now listen and to the Artful Athlete on there. Success! Thank you very much for listening. Thank you and Sophie once again. And thank, thank you. you.